Welcome to the South Australian Drought Hub podcast, strengthening drought resilience for our farmers and regional communities. What can livestock producers do to put themselves in the best possible position to deal with dry or drought conditions? G'day, I'm Drew Radford and this question is arguably even more pressing with the Bureau of Meteorology saying we're probably moving into an El Nino soon and the World Meteorological Organisation declaring an El Nino is already underway. So, if it's likely that we're moving into a period of below average rainfall, is having containment feeding options a way of dealing with that? A person who's been doing a lot of work in this space is farmer and agricultural consultant with Nikon Rural Services, Cam Nicholson. And he joins us for this Drought Hub podcast. G'day, Cam. Yeah, g'day, Drew. Cam, before we start talking about your agricultural consultant work, I want to talk about you as the farmer because you are a farmer. Whereabouts and what do you produce? So we're just about 30 kilometres out of Geelong on the Bellarine Peninsula. So we're pretty close to Port Phillip Bay. My wife and I run beef cattle and, and sheep. So the beef cattle are sort of it's a self-replacing herd that we sell steers to the long-fed feedlot for the Japanese market. So they go and feed for 270, 300 days in a high marbling. And we've also got wool sheep at 16, 17 micron merinos. Cam, I'd imagine that's pretty reliable country there. Yeah, look, reasonably good. We certainly don't get frosts because we're close to the coast and it sort of moderates some of those really hot days that you get. And the rainfall, while it's only 600 mil, it's, it's pretty good growing country. And Cam, I like the fact that you kind of walk the talk. You, you're a farmer, but you're also a consultant. How long have you been doing the consultancy side for? So private consulting, over 30 years. I did have what I'd call my apprenticeship with the Department of Agriculture in Victoria, which was fantastic for four or five years, and then I've been sort of consulting, yeah, for 30-plus years. 30-plus years you've been working with livestock producers across South Australia. So have you seen changes how farmers prepare for dry times and drought? Absolutely. I suppose the, the biggest changes are around things like infrastructure. Particularly in the last 10 years, I've seen more emphasis on fodder storage on farms, and they're both silos for grain, and that's because in southwest Victoria in particular over the last 20 or 30 years has been an increase in the amount of cropping that's done, so grain is, is more local, but also in building sheds to store fodder that then you can use five or ten years' time. The days are gone where you would leave things, rolls out in the paddock or squares out in the paddock. We're much more proficient from that point of view. Getting better with water as well. I think people are understanding a bit more about just how much water you actually need from a livestock perspective if we do get into drought. So some of that infrastructure's improved and some of the tax deductions and things like that that have been offered have certainly helped from that um, perspective. Confinement feeding as well, and I call it confinement rather than necessarily containment because for some people they've just designed their farms where they can move animals into smaller areas and therefore preserve larger parts of the farm without grazing. So we could call it containment or confinement. I tend to sort of look at it at confinement. So they're probably the main ones. The other one that I think is is people are starting to get their heads around the decision making around this. It's very difficult and my personal experience comes in here that when you're moving into drought, sometimes with the stress levels you don't actually make the best decisions you possibly could. 
And so being prepared beforehand with what decision would I make if this circumstance came about um, is pretty important as well. Well, you're talking about a very clear decision matrix there to if X happens, Y happens. And should that be running all the time or is that need to be triggered by points like, you know, we're talking about El Nino now, and I imagine that would be a trigger point in such a decision-making tree. Yeah, I'd separate out the two things. One is that if you've got those decision frameworks or the decision triggers thought out at a time when you're not in that state, so when we're not in drought, so thinking about it, say, last year when we're having a really good year, about what are the critical things we should think about as we move into drought, and having that set up in when you're not under stress, I think is a really important part of that. But the second part is that you mentioned the El Nino bit. I call those sort of signals moving us into what I call the uncertain times. And I think that's actually harder than once you're in full-blown drought. When you're in full-blown drought, if you've decided to keep animals and you're going to keep feeding, it just becomes Groundhog Day. I think the real stressful and the hard thing is that what I call the uncertain period. So the El Nino announcement just to me says, okay, we might be moving into this uncertain period. It may not be too bad. Then again, it might be bad. And it's the uncertainty that creates the stress. Having said that, these decision matrices that you can set up allow you to use them at various times as seasons progress or as uncertainty starts to change. And you can use them going, everything's right. We keep doing what we're doing. But then as certain circumstances change, you know, feed reduces, water reduces, prices change, fodder on hand changes and so on, you get a different combination of critical things that you've got there and that may be the trigger to actually do something different. And they're important triggers and you're not just talking off the top of your head here because you've been involved in the Drought Resilience Practices and Mixed Farming Systems Project which you're basically going and running workshops that look at these decision-making frameworks to help farms decide when to put stock into containment. So how are those decisions made at the moment? I mean, what sort of things are in these matrices? And are you finding farmers willing to use more formal structures like this? Yeah, just a little bit of background to this. Colleagues and I did some work about containment or confinement feeding, and we asked what were the real challenges that you had in making that work? And a lot of them said it's that decision, the decision to move them either to sell stock or hang on to stock, And then if we're going to hang on to stock, then when do we move them out of the paddock and put them into containment? And when we spoke to a lot of people, we said, well, how do you do that? And they said, well, nothing's formal. We just, when we feel really uncomfortable, we make a choice. We do look at a few things. How much feed have we got? And is the ground blowing? And is there erosion likely? And those sort of things. And then we move them. But there's nothing, in a sense, that's been formalised. And quite often it's done on the run. And quite often it's done simply by past experience. So... We saw there was opportunity to do something a little bit more formal. So these workshops you spoke about, we did 12 of them in Tasmania, South Australia and Victoria and just took farmers through a process of this is how you could structure a decision around whether you choose to put animals in containment or not. And at the end of it, we came up with these what we call decision matrices that had those critical factors and the tip over points of when you might think differently about your decision and if there were more things on the downside than the upside then maybe that would then trigger a flag to sort of say yep they should come out of the paddock now and go into containment. Cam I may have jumped ahead a little bit but in your time over those 30 years you mentioned changes in infrastructure but containment confinement 
pens. How prevalent are they across southeastern Australia now? And what are the costs and benefits that you see from them? They're varied. Some people, it's just a matter of instead of them being in a 50-hectare paddock grazing, we will fence off a small portion of that and leave them in one or two hectares and then feed them in that and spell the rest of them. To what I've seen now, which are some very well-designed, costly, but well-designed, very efficient facilities that have been set up. So you've got that whole range that I've seen across farms. The ones that I see that are more have had more investment and in a sense are better set up are the ones that have recognised the value of containment feeding, not only when we go into dry periods and into drought, but also some of the productivity opportunities that that provides of if you just wanted animals to gain weight more consistently. If you were feeding in the paddock, but feeding was taking all day to do, you could put them in confinement and do them in two or three hours. You may want to hold animals in containment so that when you get the autumn break, your pastures get away and you build up a feed wedge before winter. So there's a whole range of them and they're used for different purposes. The more sophisticated they become, I see it's it's more the skills that the farmer has and the confidence the farmer's developed over time in using that type of um, technology or that type of approach. It's a really interesting breakdown, Cam, because I imagine some people would view them as, okay, this is an expensive bit of insurance I've got sitting in the corner of my property, as opposed to, hang on, this is a new tool I can use to manage my stock on my property. Yes, yeah, that, and, and that's what we found from these interviews we did that when I mentioned that the decision-making was a, a struggle some farmers had. The other one was really about if I'm going to invest money into a containment area, the fear was not getting it right. Now, I don't want to spend all this money and then find out the design's wrong or that it's not fit for purpose or it doesn't achieve the things I want to achieve or the, the savings or the benefits I was hoping for. So that, we say, lack of confidence in knowing how to design something when you're going to spend, in some cases, you know, reasonable amounts of money is a significant barrier to a lot of farmers, I think, putting in place more sophisticated facilities. And as we found from the surveys, the farmers that had moved on, they just said, once you've actually got them in and you've used them a few times, you see all these other possible benefits. It's getting over that first hurdle of setting something up that is efficient and does work well for you and suits your business is the major stumbling block. And through the future drought funding, we're actually looking at putting on some and training up some local experts who can work with farmers individually on farm to get the design and the planning for that right. Yeah, well, that actually was my next question was, you know, what sort of support is there available to farmers who are going to be interested in setting up these confinement pens? There's a lot of written information, written resources. One thing we did find that over the period, and you can go back to the 1970s and find stuff around containment or confinement feeding on the web, but when you go through that, quite often the information's conflicting, things like pen space, amount of feeding, locations and things like that. There is a new resource that's just been put out by the New South Wales Local Land Services it's called a Guide to Containment Feeding, which is excellent from a written point of view. But as a lot of farmers said to us, we could read as much as we like, but it's lovely to get someone out on farm and actually look at it and say, look, your location for this would be better there rather than there because of soil type and access to this. And, and I've seen 10 other examples where so-and-so has done something and it would have been better to do it this way. So getting that resource that you can actually talk to and importantly, customise it for the way you want to run your business is really important. 
So these few experts that will be training up being led by the South Australian Drought Hub and through some collaboration, we're also included Victoria and Tasmania in that as well. So we'll have about eight or 10 local part-time people that can come out on farm and, and help in that design. From what you were describing there, that these are people that have walked the walk for want of a better description. I know your property is 400 hectares, but is this something that you've put in place on your own property? We're a classic one of we have containment or confinement areas that tend to be smaller paddocks with pasture species in them that are more robust. So we can sense you can drive them into the ground and the soil doesn't blow and the pasture will still survive. But we haven't gone to that full-blown investment because one, our scale is a little bit smaller. We've only got a couple hundred cows that we carved down and six, seven hundred ewes or something. But we could see the benefit. We just want to get it right. So even someone like myself who's been working in this space but still has that same reluctance to want to spend big money in case I get it wrong. So if I could get an expert out on my place that could help me just give me a bit more confidence about what I'm investing in, we'd probably go for it and we'd put something in place that would be much better. And I suspect then we would use it and get the benefits of things like building a feed wedge better going into winter at the autumn break. So if we get a late break, we would just contain animals better than we do now to allow more pasture to get away. So I really think there's some enormous opportunity in just helping farmers, including ourselves, if you like, get over that line and, and have the confidence to want to invest. Cam, I appreciate your candour with that particular point. And is that also something that's because you're in a higher rainfall zone? And is this a bit of a common theme, I guess, that runs more through higher rainfall zones that containment spaces are not as commonly thought of and implemented? Yes, is probably the simple answer, but it's really the context of the farming operation that you're running. We're seeing more now, say in the high rainfall zone of farmers, that if they're using their stubble, say, as their main feed source over summer, but now we recognise the value of early sowing, that basically means that even though there may be feed in some stubbles, we actually want to get those, move those animals off so that we can prepare for our next crop because we know in long season our greatest opportunity is actually to use that season, which means sowing early. So where do you put your animals if you don't have pasture and you need those paddocks to prepare your crops for argument's sake? So the opportunity of saying, okay, for the next six weeks, they go in containment. So I get the cropping operation right and I allow some feed to grow in some of our pasture paddocks rather than running those into the ground. So it comes back to a point, I think we'll find other opportunities and other ways of using this once we start installing them and they work efficiently. Nothing worse than something that constantly gives you bugbear that's no different to any bit of machinery if that machinery doesn't work the way it's intended to work you get so frustrated with it you stop doing it and i put containment in the same boat that we need to make sure that it's fit for purpose and it does the job you want it to do efficiently and easily and then i think we will see more opportunities and um, get greater benefit out of it Cam, I think it's all about gaining that greater benefit and you paint that picture really, really well. Cam Nicholson, Agricultural Consultant and Director with Nikon Rural Services, thank you for taking the time and joining us for this SA Drought Hub podcast. Very good. Thanks, Drew. And that concludes this podcast. You'll find more podcasts on the SA Drought Hub website at sadroughthub.com.au. 
The South Australian Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub is one of eight hubs established across the nation through the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. The SA Drought Hub is an exciting initiative which brings together a dynamic network of primary producers, industry groups, researchers, government agencies, universities, agribusinesses, farming systems groups, traditional owners and others to work towards a common vision to strengthen the drought resilience and preparedness of farms and regional communities in SA. Led by the University of Adelaide in partnership with the Department of Primary Industries and Regions South Australia, the hub is responsible for driving the extension of existing knowledge and practices to build drought resilience in primary production systems.